0: common in most languages, people can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Eirene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace.
1: So good. Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah, are you enjoying the Bible Project videos? Yes. Okay, 1045 service. I got to tell you guys, 9 a.m. was a party. They were so full of energy, and it was, uh, I have high hopes. You guys are always energetic, but I just really believe, not that it's a competition but that you guys you guys can pull through. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hang out with you guys. But before I jump in a little bit to who I am, because most of you might be like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this girl ever once in my life. Um, I want to take a moment to share something, if that's okay with you guys. <sighs> Amazing. As I've been prepping and praying and preparing for this week, God kept bringing me back to a memory that I had a couple years ago. My husband and I, we lived in B.C. a few years back, and there was this place, it's like a tourist attraction called Othello Tunnels. Ultimately, it's these tunnels that have been built in these mountains, and so a train used to go through. Uh, Now the train's at a commission, and they, of course, turn it into a tourist attraction, because why not make money? (laughs) Am I right? And uh, also, it's a great Instagram, like get your Instagram photo, do you type of thing. It's great. So I went probably for the Instagram photo, but I won't admit that to you. Um... So I went there to check out these tunnels, and I had always heard the metaphor and the saying that, you know, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you're having a hard day, and someone's like, don't worry, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, that does not help me right now at all, but thanks. Uh, (laughs) They tried. Uh, So I knew the metaphor, and I, I got what it meant in my head. But when I was actually walking through this tunnel, there was a depth to that saying that hit me. I was walking through and you could no longer see the light from the entrance at all. And you could not at all. There's still such a long way to go before the end of the tunnel. It was pitch black. It was cold. I'm a little bit dramatic, so maybe I felt like I was shivering and it was freezing and it was dark and I was all alone in this tunnel. I was actually with a friend, but because it was so dark, I knew she was there, but I couldn't sense her presence. And I was stumbling, literally stumbling, I'm not that dramatic, I was actually stumbling over the rocks, and I didn't know if I was walking towards the end of the tunnel, or if I was walking to the side, and I was going to hit the wall, I had no idea. And it was a great experience, and finally I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and I was stoked, because I'm a little bit afraid of the dark. And I'm like, gotta go, whoo! And I was very, very, very excited to get out, and then when I got out, I realized there was another tunnel after that, so that didn't help. But... <laughs> But this memory kept coming back to me this week. And I'm like, why? What is the purpose? And as I started praying about it and thinking about it more, I just got this sense that there's some people today who are in a place where you feel like you are in the midst of the tunnel. You know that there was good before. You know that you saw God's faithfulness before. There was that light. But now as you're walking, you feel and only see the darkness. And you know you're hoping about the light at the end of the tunnel, but you just can't see it yet, and you're trudging through. Perhaps it's a diagnosis that you never expected. Perhaps it's a loss that you could have never fathomed. Perhaps you're a young adult trying to figure out what to do with your life, and it's overwhelming. There's so many different circumstances. It could literally be that your schedule is so full and you feel like you're drowning and you know that God's faithful, but you just don't know how to get out of the situation. I just feel so strongly that God wants to say that he sees you where you're at. His heart is for you. And my prayer today as we talk about peace is that he will literally wash you over with a new sense of peace, a new sense of I can do this through him, that you will have a hope to keep going until you see that light at the end of the tunnel. Amen. Okay. Guys, that was not in my notes, so (laughs) hey, we're just getting started. Lucky you. All right. (laughs) So Pastor Lori did an amazing job at talking me up. She set the bar so high, and I'm here to bring it down and humble myself um, with all the self-deprecating jokes. But uh, my name's Hannah, and like Pastor Lori said, I'm the communications director here at Life Center. I started about a year ago. Ultimately, my role is all things creative, except, now we have to make this exception, except for anything musical. You see, I had a dream when I was a child that I would win American Idol. I did not consider the fact that I was not American or that there was even a Canadian Idol. It didn't matter. It had to be American Idol. And I also did not consider the fact that I was tone deaf. And I can't clap on beat, and the list goes on and on. So I learned very quickly at a young age that um, music is not for me, so I have to figure out how to be creative in other ways. And so I picked up photography when I was younger, and ultimately I kept doing that great wonderful. This role, what I do here, is a mix of all things creative. So I do photography, but I also have my hand in video. I have, I create the graphics that you see, although before you think I'm awesome, honestly, I get a lot of them from the internet. I will tell you that, I will be honest. I also am in charge of the website and social media and the prints that you get in your hands on Sundays. So yes, it's true. Every spelling mistake you've seen in the past year is because of me. You're welcome. All right, guys, that's all I have to say today. I'm out of here. Just kidding. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so that's my role. Um, My husband and I, we moved here about a year ago. My husband, you might recognize him if you come here regularly. He normally plays violin, he's wonderful. I will say, oh, guys, a little bit of claps. 9 a.m. just went into applause for him, and I was like, wow. He's literally the most humble person. Meanwhile, I'm working on the humble part. And so I love that he can be affirmed. Like, that's beautiful. All right, yes, he plays violin. And before we get into it, no, he does not serenade me at home. I get asked this all the time. He genuinely doesn't. He will play scales. He will, (laughs) ah, violinist, I love it play scales, he'll practice the same song again, and again, and again, and the same part of the same song, same line of the same song, again, and again, and again, Uh, so that he can do this on a Sunday morning, so again, you're welcome. No, I love him very, very much. And so we are both from Ontario, but we met in B.C. at Bible College, a.k.a. Bridal College. And we, (laughs) just kidding, just kidding. We got married there. Not kidding, really. Um, We got married and we stayed in B.C. We were doing ministry, a part of a church plant there. And then also I was a full-time wedding photographer and I loved it. And I was making a lot of money and that was great. Um, And then (laughs) about a year and a half ago, Jesus did this thing. It happens sometimes, if you've been following him long enough, you've probably experienced something similar where, where he's like, Hey, so remember Ontario? Like, remember that place that doesn't have mountains or, or the ocean? Um, yeah, and remember Ottawa, where like you just don't really actually ever want to go back to? How do you feel about picking up your life and moving there? <laughs> okay. All right, and then he's like, one better, one better. How do you feel about actually giving up your photography business that you've been working on for the past, like, five years? Um, Okay. But in my 20-something years of life, clearly all the wisdom, just kidding, I have come to realize that when God says go, you should go. Amazing. Because I know that it might be... Challenging, more challenging, not what I expected, not what I could have ever anticipated, but it will always be more fulfilling. And you'll always go farther than you could have ever anticipated, and that has literally been the past year of my life. So not even a year ago, a year ago we were still in BC, but we were packing up, preparing to leave, to move across the country, and that's what we did. And we both started new jobs, and we started a new life in Ottawa. We actually both like winter, so that's good. And it's been a journey and it's been awesome, but it's also been hard. Transition is hard, very hard. But also we've had moments in our lives as a couple, we've experienced the greatest loss and the greatest grief that we've, we've had together as a couple. And it's been really, really, really challenging. And so the fact that I was asked to speak about peace had me LOLing so hard. I'm like, all right, Jesus, you're on to something, I guess. <laughs> but honestly, it's an honor, and I hope that you guys get to know you know a little bit more about me now, um, and that I'm just figuring it out as I go. Not my sermon. I prepared that, of course. But I'm figuring out this peace thing, and I'm really excited to just dig into what shalom and peace truly means. Are you guys ready to go on this adventure with me? Uh, you don't have a choice, so. All right. Let's turn to John 14, verse 25 to 27. So before we get into reading the actual scripture, just a quick little bit of context. What we're going to read is Jesus talking to his disciples. What has happened is Jesus has already experienced, he was arrested. He experienced the most barbaric crucifixion, the most barbaric death to then be resurrected, which is just like a churchy word for to be brought to life again. And then he's with his disciples. Now, if you're new to church, this is your first time, you're like, wow, that is quite the story. What? Bear with us. It's really awesome. But after he has been brought to life, he's with his disciples. He's spending time teaching them, being with them before he ends up going back to heaven. And this is the moment that we have where he is speaking to his disciples, preparing them for what's about to come. And he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does do I give to you. I love that phrase because it's a reminder that the peace of God does not necessarily look like the peace of the world, the peace of our culture that we've been trained to seek after. And we saw it very clearly in the video, but I think Bill Johnson has a quote that really summarizes it. He says, for most people, peace is a time without war, a time without conflict, or as simple as a time without noise. Take note that it's always the absence of something. In the kingdom of God, peace is the presence of someone. Peace is a person. Jesus is the prince of peace. When the prevailing influence on our hearts and minds is the presence of Jesus, we have a peace that conquers. I love, 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 love this quote because in our culture and in relationship with other people, I feel like I have this conversation all the time where I'm hearing, you know what, things are so nuts, things are so busy, there's so much noise, but, but, when I get here, it'll be better. When I get to this stage, I'll have rest. I'll have peace. It doesn't matter what situation or what stage of life we're in. If you're a student, you're like, oh, I can't wait for exams to be over. Summer, here I come. Best summer ever. And you get to summer and it's true, there might be a little bit of an alleviation because you're no longer doing exams, but things come up. You get busy and before you know it, it's September again and you're like, oh my gosh, school's starting, I'm not ready. And if you're a parent and you raise little ones up, you know that there's a stage where they're toddlers, and they are cute and squishy and cuddly and fun, but you also know that they have earned the title three-nager and terrible twos for a reason. That said, I don't say we have to label them with that negative stuff, but you know, they learn to have attitude a little bit. They're figuring out their personality. Imagine me as a toddler, (laughs) yikes. But when you're in that stage, you love them, but you're also like, oh, man, I can't wait for them to get to such and such age because then I might have a bit more peace. It won't be as crazy. And sure, there might be validity in that, but then there will be other challenges. And it doesn't matter. It could be you wanting to get to a different stage of, of financial stability, get to retirement, get to a new job, figure out what you're doing with your life, all the things we're looking for, something to give us peace, peace. But peace is not the absence of something. It is not the absence of your stress. It's not the absence of your worry. Of course that helps, but no, peace is greater than that. Peace is the presence of someone. Peace is the presence of Jesus. And that changes everything. Because just as we saw in the video, they use the illustration of a wall. And the wall, whenever peace is broken... It needs to be restored. Jesus' presence, the person of Jesus, is the one who does the restoring. But when we get over here and we start trying to patch it up with our own things, does it really, really work? Does it really, really last? No. Peace is not the absence of something. It is not when you get to that next stage. It is the presence of Jesus in the stage you're in. Now, we're going to blast through three questions As we dig into what peace looks like in our lives. One, I'm going to tell you the three so you can be prepared for when the third one comes. So you'll be like, oh my gosh, good, she's almost done. All right? One, what happens when our peace is broken? Two, what is the solution to broken peace? And three, how do we walk out in peace, in the peace that we've been given? So let's start with question number one. Are you guys still with me? I love it. Good. You're alive. Woo. Woo. What happens when our peace slash our shalom is broken? There are two prominent feelings when our shalom is interrupted. There's a troubled heart and there's fear. In the scripture that we read, Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And we can take so much value from that charge. Because you see, when we're doing life and we're in relationship with people, I got my relationship with God. I have my relationship with myself. I have my relationship with others. And we're human, and we make mistakes. And we, we mess up, and that can cause us consequences. There's a rippling effect. There's a breaking of shalom, or peace is interrupted. Or there's also just life circumstances that are out of our control. I can't control how someone else acts and how that affects me. There's a brokenness of shalom. And the best way that we can identify that this has happened is through, one, a troubled heart, and two, fear. So let's dig into that. The best metaphor for a troubled heart is actually like a gray-slash-threatening stormy sky. And now, guys, we are in the peak of Ontario summer. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this is a very familiar occurrence. The humidity is thick. Our hair is frizzy. (laughs) We're sweating in places where we shouldn't sweat. And we see this ominous black cloud rolling in and there might be like sheet lightning in it And you just don't know what to expect. Is it gonna hail? Is it gonna pour down? Is it gonna pour down for three seconds? Is it gonna pour down for 30 minutes? We don't know. Is it gonna rain cats and dogs? Because honestly in Ontario I wouldn't be surprised because those storms are powerful. It's uncertain and it could literally just pass over and be nothing. There is an uncertainty about when you see a storming cloud And we can actually use that metaphor for our own hearts. There's an uncertainty. There's a lack of clarity. You guys know what I mean. When there's moments in life, whether it's circumstance or it's relational or what have you, where there is literally an unsettling in your heart, where you feel unnerved, where it feels like chaos raging inside of you and in your mind. This, for me, is the first sign that I have kept my eyes on the storms of life, on my circumstance, and I have, let, I have forgotten to look to the one who's in charge. My eyes are focused on the storms of life and not the presence of God. Now, a troubled heart might, might feel overwhelming and chaotic, but there's something I really, 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 really want to get across. It's not necessarily something to feel shameful of. To feel in disarray, that's okay. It's literally an indicator that peace has been interrupted and that it needs to be restored. I love what it says in the video that shalom, shalom is brokenness made whole. It is a restoration. Don't allow shame to keep you from getting to the place of restoration. Don't allow shame. That you've stumbled in a certain area, or what have you, to keep you from going to Jesus. is an important indicator that somewhere in the long, along the line, our shalom was interrupted. This ties into the second point, fear. Now hear me, fear as a motivation will never produce shalom. Now the fear Jesus was referring to when he said, do not be afraid. It wasn't a a healthy fear because there can't be healthy fear. There's a healthy fear of God. There's a fear of our consequences, of our actions that stop us from doing dumb things. Right? You know what I'm talking about. When you're like, wow, that seems like a really good idea. Oh, wait, that's dumb. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) (sighs) Jesus was not referring to a healthy fear. He was referring to an unhealthy fear. A fear that causes us to avoid approaching him when we actually need him most. If you've read even the first chapter of the Bible, first couple chapters looking at Genesis, you see that God created this beautiful world. He created us to be in relationship with him. But very quickly, sin, which is a huge, it sounds like a big, scary church word, but honestly, it means missing the mark. He created this world that was so beautiful for us to be in relationship with him. But then we missed the mark. We made mistakes. And it's not that he's not gracious, but he's fully good. He's fully good. And we're human. You guys know through and through that you're like, I'm a good person. But I'm, I'm not always great. But God has been on a journey since the beginning of the Bible to the very end in our lives, continuing to, to merge that gap. To go from us not being able to be in relationship because we mess up, because we screw up, because we do things that we shouldn't do that are not honoring to Him. He has been on a journey, although He is, to find us and to connect us back to Him. Now I'm getting off my notes, guys, so I'm getting a little bit distracted. So let's pull it together. Are you ready? Grace, that's what we're talking about, which is perfect. So thanks for having Grace with me. Woo. All right. The the unhealthy fear that causes us to avoid approaching him often when we need him most. In times where we screw up, sometimes that gap that I was talking about feels so big. And we don't know what to do. And so when we sin, when we fall short, what we do next is often very revealing of where our hearts are at. So let's look at three quick options, okay? Option one, do we run from God? Try to clean ourselves up? Make grandiose promises and attempt to prove how sorry we are to God? How we will do better next time? Option two, do we thank God for his grace but take no repentance to heart? I know this is sin, like an example. I know this is sin, but I'm going to do it anyway because God's going to forgive Is that our attitude? Because let's remember, what do we say often? God loves you exactly where you are, but he loves you too much to let you remain the same. Being in relationship with Jesus means that we are striving to become Christ-like, not striving on our own accord, but working with him in relationship to him. It should transform you. We cannot stay in a place, and this is not to cast shame, no, this is to give freedom. Because when we seek to become more like Christ, man, there is an abundance that we live in, that we won't find otherwise so we cannot sacrifice that for an attitude of like well you know I really want to do that thing so I'm just going to do it because I'll be forgiven anyway and option three do we turn to God do we repent do we ask for forgiveness for our sin for our shortcomings? Ask him to change us to make us more like him. Ding, ding, ding. I think we have a winner. Wow. And also, it's okay if you identify with different stages that might not be stage three. It is all a journey that we're on and that is beautiful. But I'm going to tell you that turning to God, whoo, so good. But you see, if peace is a person and it's Jesus, fear will often drive us to a place of being afraid to approach him when we need it most. But as the video mentioned, shalom is brokenness restored to wholeness. And let me tell you, fear will never, ever, ever bring restoration. But the love and grace of Jesus will. He does not see anyone as too far gone. He does not see anyone as too far down the slippery slope. Because we all make mistakes. His heart is to be restored. His heart is to take your life. And let me tell you, we talked about it earlier, but I have yet to meet someone who is a fix-it man better than God. The way that he can take our pain and our brokenness and bring healing is amazing. But fear, fear will want to keep you from that place of restoration. Fear will tell you that you're too far gone, that the mistakes you've made are too big, too great. And I'm here to tell you that it's not true. It is simply an indicator that peace has been broken along the way. And that's okay. The next step is to turn to him and to experience a restoration that he cares to give. Again, if peace is a person, it's Jesus' fear will often drive us to a place of not being able to approach him when we need him most. I encourage any of those of you that are here today, that you feel like you've made mistakes that have just, it was one step, but it's been one step after another after another, and it's been a slippery slope where you find yourself feeling really distant from God because of some of your actions. I want you to know that He sees you and He wants to be close to you, and He's here with open arms. Never too far gone. Mm-mm. Not at all. And that's something that you believe. I just want to speak that that, that is a lie and it's not true. You see, a troubled heart and fear are indicators and are the, a consequence of, of shalom being broken. So that sounds pretty depressing. So what is the solution? Question two, to our broken shalom. The problem is our shalom is missing, it's broken, or it's incomplete. The provision is when Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. These two words, leave and give, have an undertone of inheritance. And you see, when we accept Jesus, we are brought into his family. We are brought into the kingdom of God. We receive an inheritance, this gift of peace that is very, very, very different than anything we could find elsewhere. And you see, it's not a something. It's a someone. Jesus said this was Holy Spirit. That's my favorite part, guys. The peace that Jesus leaves... Once again, it's not the absence of something. It is not the absence of your conflict. It's not the absence of your striving. It's not the absence of your stress or your situation. No, instead it's the presence of someone in the midst of that conflict. It's the presence of Jesus in the midst of that circumstance. Because sometimes God does calm the storm, and that brings peace. But oftentimes, God calms us in the midst of the storm which is the miracle of peace in the midst of the problem. And to be honest, I don't know if that peace in the middle of the storm looks like this zen, chill, I just came from yoga vibe that we see in the world. I wonder if it actually is a little bit messier than that. Because I think in certain moments, receiving the gift of peace actually takes faith. I think about the illustration I used at the very beginning, that memory of the tunnel. There are moments where we're walking. We know that there was light before. We, knew, we know that there was goodness and peace and whatever it may be before. And we know and we're hoping that there's something beyond this darkness. But we're stuck in the darkness. Sometimes to receive the gift of peace, it takes faith. Faith believing that the one who was with you when the light was there will be with you the entire time in the darkness, even if you can't feel him, and he will be with you when you are out of the tunnel. Because you might not tangibly feel peace. Your anxiety might be skyrocketing. Your situation might have you completely drained. And you might not be feeling that warm and tingly feeling. But you have faith in the hope that Jesus is bigger than your circumstances. And that he has you in the process. In fact, a quick personal story before we get to our last point. Moving here, as I mentioned, was a big change. And this past year has been beautiful and wonderful, but also incredibly challenging. And in it, I've actually experienced the worst anxiety I have experienced in my entire life. I've had moments where I'm, I'm lying in my bed trying to go to sleep, and honestly, my heart is beating so fast and racing so fast that I feel like it's going to explode. And it sounds dramatic, but if you experience anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I literally had a sense that I felt like I was going to die. It was overwhelming, and I would pray. And when I prayed, there would be times where honestly, instantaneously, miraculously, that anxiety would lift and a calmness would wash over my body. And that's amazing. But let me tell you, there are many times where I would pray and the anxiety wouldn't lift. But that did not mean that I was, not, I was void of peace. Mm-mm. That did not mean that I was void of peace. No, my anxiety might have raged on in my body, but my heart trusted in the hope I have in Jesus. I knew that the situation seemed impossible, but I knew that I served a God who does the impossible. Aren't we glad that we serve a God who does the impossible? What? It might not have been the warm tingles that we associate when we hear the word peace, but it was a sense of wholeness, knowing that I am safe in the hands of God. And that's powerful. So the solution to our broken shalom, it is not the absence of the stress. It's not the absence even of my anxiety. It's not the absence of the heartbreak. Because life happens, and if you lived it long enough, you know it's beautiful, but it's also tragic. What it is is the presence of Jesus in that circumstance. And sometimes, and it's okay, sometimes you don't feel it, and you have to have faith to receive that peace. Awesome. So, question three, last question. You guys are doing great. We're going to wrap it up soon. It's going to be amazing. Question three, how do we walk out in the peace and the shalom that we've been given? You see, the message can't end here because Jesus also said there's something we can do. Not to gain or not to earn peace, but to be peace builders, peacemakers and shalom builders. He said we would receive Holy Spirit in that scripture that we read, our helper. And you see, actually, just before Jesus ascended, there was another charge that Jesus gave them, gave the disciples. He said that, hey, guess what, guys? This has been awesome, but you're actually going to do more than what I've done here on earth. Now, whoa, 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 wait a second. I've got to pull out Jesus' resume for a second, okay? So first of all, he's God. So that's a pretty good reference to have, if you know what I mean saying let's go through the list he healed the blind he healed the lame he healed the sick hmm okay he raised the dead that's a big one he walked on water he turned wine into water he calmed storms he took a little boy's lunch and made it feed 5000 what Crazy. He cast out demons. The list goes on and on and on. And wait a second. So you're not only saying, Jesus, that I'm supposed to do what you did as a follower of you, but I'm going to do exceptionally more? How? What? Pardon? Are you sure? Me? (laughs) I'm just here to tell jokes. (sighs) We are called to do more, but how? With the help of Holy Spirit spirit with God's presence with us every single day that is how and you see Jesus was the prince of peace he was an excellent peacemaker and we are called to be like him and even to do exceptionally more we are called to be shalom and peace builders and that means we need the help of holy spirit because guess what it is so true we are human and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to actually be the reason that peace was interrupted in the lives of other people but what we do next is incredibly telling. We can start simply with two factors to consider of how how we walk out in the peace that we've been given. The first is ownership. See, working for the Shalom of God in a world in the world means we take ownership. Ownership of the peace we've interrupted personally and even as a society. Because you see, all of our lives are complex, full of moving parts. We are so intertwined with one another. Meaning someone or something can interrupt our peace and vice versa. We can do the same in the lives of other people. And when we make mistakes, like that was in relationship with myself or in relationship with other people, there is a shalom that is interrupted, a shalom that is broken. So our response, the best response we can have, we can hide from it. We can try to patch it up on our own. Or we can own the fact that we made a mistake. We can ask for forgiveness. If we want to be peace builders, we got to be able to own the fact that sometimes we interrupt and we disturb and we wreck the peace. Am I right? And that can be a really hard step. But that also produces humility and that's a pretty great quality to have. I'm working on it. I don't really know that much, but... I'm getting there. You see, there can be mistakes that we make, like, oh, hey, not saying you guys would ever do this, of course, but, oh, hey, I stole this thing. In fact, in grade one, guys, to be honest, having a moment here, I actually was in a candy store, and I stole a fuzzy peach, only one fuzzy peach candy, and um, it it stayed on my heart for forever, so I'm a thief right here. Okay. Jesus redeemed me. Woo. Um, Okay. We can steal something, and most likely, if it's not a fuzzy peach that you ate, you can return it. There can be a simple solution. But breaking shalom doesn't always look like that. If I gossip about someone, I can go to them afterwards and ask for forgiveness. But the damage is done. And they can even forgive me, but then this this rumor might be out there. There are variables now out of my control. I have to take ownership of what I've done, but that leads us to the next part. The next step, which is obedience, because you see, we can only own our actions, but not always the outcome. We have to seek to be obedient as peace. There's a bug on my page. Guys, sorry, I'm new. All right, guys, we're wrapping up. We're going to go hard. It's going to be awesome. Bringing us all back. (laughs) Obedience, we can only own our actions, not the outcome. So, anchored in Jesus, we tie our peace to obedience, not outcome. We have to be rooted in who we are in Him because, just like we said, we're going to make mistakes and we have to own them. But that takes a toll on us if we don't realize who we are in Him and that grace covers us. We have to seek to be obedient as peacemakers, but we also have to release the fact that, honestly, Sometimes we cannot control the outcome. We're going to finish with a verse in Ephesians 2, verse 17 to 22. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Pause for a second. I just want to say whether you feel like you are the closest you've ever been with Jesus or whether you feel like you are beyond distant in this stage in your life, isn't it so beautiful that his peace is for you no matter what stage you're at? And if you will just accept it today or this week or whenever you feel ready, let me tell you it's there for your taking. He came and he preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It is important that we own where we've messed up, Because we have a greater purpose. We have a greater calling. We are called to be shalom builders. Imagine what your life would look like, the relationships that you have with people. Yes, some things are out of our control. We cannot control the outcome, but we still have to be obedient in the moment. So when God says, ask for forgiveness, even though it's something you don't want to do, let's be obedient. Let's take that step. Because, how would Life Center look if we were seeking to be peace builders and peacemakers? What would the city of Ottawa look like? What would your own family look like? What would your own workplace look like? How different would it be than the shame culture that we live in that is always barking at one another saying you're wrong, you're this, you're that, judging back and forth? What would it look like to be a peace builder in the city of Ottawa? in the country of Canada, in the world as a whole. Your your situation matters. And to think it doesn't, mm mm-mm. We are being built together with Christ. There's a greater purpose beyond us. And it's beautiful and it's exciting. You see, shalom, peace is divine. It's a supernatural gift, but it also requires a supernatural step of obedience. We'll